podcast. My name is Shannon Swales. I am the founder, creator, and clinical psychologist behind Burnout Psychology Support. This podcast focuses on building compassionate community where authenticity and wisdom are a focus. Each month showcases either a lived experience guest who shares courageously their burnout to recover experience, or a guest who has knowledge and skills, or even their own lived experience to share to support those listening with prevention and recovery from burnout. It is hoped that this podcast assists people recognizing and responding to their own or others' burnout and know that there is hope. The views, opinions, tips, and the like expressed by myself or my guests are not a replacement for personalized psychological help. Just like I have done for myself, I encourage those of you that are suffering to seek professional help. Episode 21 of Burnout Psychology Support Podcast will focus on the challenges of returning to your career, to your work, post-burnout. It will focus most on my own journey while infusing elements of scientific knowledge to help support others who find themselves at this point or are fearful about taking that break from their work, from their career. It feels strange to be sitting in the chair of the guest right now. (laughs) Uh, It has been a while since I've sat in this chair. The first time was in episode one when I was in the severe phase of my burnout. And I focused in this episode on what what my experience was at the time, so which was a lot of a lot of discomfort. And then I I sat in this guest chair in episode 6 which was I think um 4 or 5 months maybe after that 6 months and I was in the throes of my recovery period so I focused on some lessons learned and what what I was noticing in terms of the ongoing challenges but also the progress and the things that were helping me in achieving that. And then it was about 15 months post the peak of my burnout, which I always attribute to the leaving of my career as a psychologist. So about 15 months after that, I sat down for the last episode that I've been a guest, which was episode 12. And this marked the a year since the podcast had started, which I started around May, June of 2021. And uh, in this episode, I was focused a lot on celebration because of the year and and so the celebration of of uh what what I had achieved in that time uh, uh yeah the progress in terms of my recovery that at that point had reached a fairly stable stage for me uh so that was yeah that was the last time I sat in the guest chair and it was only recently when considering future ideas for an episode that I I questioned whether I would do another episode and report on where things are at in in my journey in, in terms of the phase I'm now in with with post burnout uh, and my recovery but also that ongoing growth from there and maintaining that health and well-being and and I hadn't felt pulled to do that or desire to do that till about 
a couple of weeks ago when I went, yeah, I'd like to do that. I, I feel a need to sit and reflect and share, uh, share with that intention to hopefully help others who find themselves in this phase as well or are scared or fearful about this phase. Like maybe you might be recognizing that you're burnt out but fearful that if you take time off or take a break or maybe you're you're having a forced break like mine was and fearful that you'll never return to your career or maybe even considering that it may not be the career for you so this is the episode for for people who find themselves in any of those um areas really or if you're just keen and interested curious to see where things are at for me uh, in my growth um, from burnout. Uh, Yep, this is the episode for you. And a lot of the theme around today's episode will be around returning to uh, your career, or in my case, returning to clinical psychology, because that is what really sums up the last year, I suppose, since I did an episode that that's sort of been a, uh, not sort of, has been a main focus for me returning to my career as a psychologist. So yeah, stay tuned. I want to first start with answering the question, what has life looked like uh, since the last time I checked in in an episode on this podcast and uh, just briefly sharing with you, my, my mind is saying quite boring, actually, not much going on. But I'm just going to notice that thought and, and pop that aside and share with you uh, with what's been going on. So the main themes and, you know, in the context of burnout, the, you know, one of the main things focusing on is what does work to look like for me? And work has looked like working part-time in paid employment as a lecturer at a tertiary institution, teaching in the master's and bachelor programs for people looking to become a a counsellor. And uh, also on the other days, my, my other two days, focused on uh, producing this this podcast, but also the other things that uh, I do with uh, what was called Burnout, a different kind of gap year. So the blog uh, slash video log. And I think it was uh, late last year that I changed it into a video log, uh, moving away from writing for a while. And that was just a personal shift and change that I wanted to uh, get away from writing for a while and, and be more visual, which was a a hurdle for me, a challenge for me. So it was a bit of exposure to help uh, shift and and work on some anxiety around that. So I've been doing a video log for my journal for some time as well. And the journal took a different uh, shift, not just with how it was produced, but also my recovery moved into maintenance phase. uh, And so focusing on checking in with myself and processing any any issues that came up that were triggers or or potential triggers for burnout. So, yeah, so my work life is, because I've I've always included the, well, not always, but at some point I acknowledged that the podcast and the journal, although aren't paid (laughs) um, endeavours, were still something that is work-related for me. So 
I acknowledge those as, yeah, as work endeavours. Life was challenging in the sense that I was finding it um, particularly difficult at my paid work in terms of reconciling it as something that I wanted to do going forward. So that has been a theme. Uh, and I did arrive to the decision that it wasn't what something that I wanted to continue doing, to continue to be a teacher and to continue working for the place I was working at. It just didn't align with my values, with uh, uh, which included my health and well-being, it, and also teaching in the way I was teaching, which was online. I, I've I got a lot more out of face-to-face teaching because there was a small aspect in that job where we got to do face-to-face teaching, and I noticed how much I lit up and and how much energy. Although it was was uh, you know a lot of energy output. There was a lot of energy I was getting back because I really loved that face-to-face contact with students. So, yeah, I made uh, an important decision to step back from that work. And that was a decision I made in, I think, roughly around November-ish last year, uh, but had given substantial notice till March the next year. So I've only in the last couple of months left that job and... I'd also made a big decision back in around that time as well that I wanted to move back into clinical psychology practice, which was a bit of a shock for me at first because it wasn't something I thought that I'd go back to. I, in the peak of my burnout and and, and leading up to that, moving away from work, leaving work, leaving my career, I honestly felt that I was in the wrong career, that I had spent a a big chunk, pretty much my whole adult life, working towards a career that wasn't conducive to me, to my health, my well-being, just my overall self. And so when I noticed a desire to move back into the career that I trained for. It it was somewhat surprising. However, it was a question throughout my recovery at certain points that came up, like, do I want to return, return to working as a psychologist? So it was a question that even throughout my recovery and, you know, before I came to that decision, I had pondered here and there. To be honest, I had actually avoided that question for a long time. And that was probably a good thing or a very good thing at the start because I was burnt out. You can't can't make a life decision when you are severely ill. All questions, big life questions need to be Uh, put to the side to focus on doing what you need to recover Uh, and at that time it was rest rest lots of rest and doing things that restored energy and that yeah took a lot lot of focus to do because I'm a problem solver and a fixer and want to uh, all that 
that was and it can still be my baseline and and so you know focusing on recovery was really hard but that's yeah suspending any big decisions are important where where you can and I was able to and so anyway um, at some point it became important to investigate and explore this question and I did which was helpful and I did give myself space to ponder that question and not have to arrive to a decision quickly even though there was a big part of me at times that just wanted certainty and wanted to know what my career, what my work life would look like. But I knew pushing that answer was only going to create more anxiety, more um, shame, guilt, anger, frustration, just negativity. And so there was no point pushing. So I coached myself (laughs) to stay centered and present and just to ponder that question. And eventually it arrived this this desire to move back into this field into the field of of psychology and interesting enough one of my I think journal entries when I was pondering this question I arrived at this insight that that the and, and the reason I think I arrived to the decision that I wanted to go back to working as a psychologist was because I freed myself up to to how that might look like. Like I stepped back from my very narrow vision of what working as a psychologist looked like and I opened it up. And I also, I opened it up, but I also didn't force myself to know what that looks like. What I did was I connected with my values. Like what do I get out of being a psychologist? What what, what do I love? What do, what, what lifts me? What I'm going to use a word that I heard recently, glimmers, and I'm not sure if I'm using that right, but glimmers, like, which what I understand about glimmers is it's just, it's, it's just something that um, helps support us and regulates us and just feels right. So I might not be using that right. But anyway, just something that, uh, yeah, lifts. And I worked out that I do love helping people and helping them uh, restore and and grow uh, mentally, emotionally, physically, behaviorally, all of that. And I do value uh, compassion. You know that care, that empowering people to to um, lift and recover and grow. So compassion is a real core value of mine. And wisdom, like I I value sharing knowledge that I have gained uh, and that I've gained through my psychology education but also the practical experience I've had have had with working with people for many years and also my own lived experience and I want to be a person who shares that wisdom with people who want to hear and and um, you know, connecting with the value of, of being my authentic self and and also uh, just you know, that sense of community too and being part of shift and change in this area. And I just, by exploring my my values around my working life, I realised that I want to still be in the mental health field. And at that time, back in October, I wasn't sure what that would look like. And, and I was still hesitant to return back to giving one-on-one therapy at that stage but I knew I wanted to be involved in group work and, and work in that area again. So anyway, the cogs started ticking in terms of what that would look like. And 
I also realized in, in my pondering of this question that what's conducive to my health and well-being is doing this gradually, like returning to the career in a step-by-step process and not, you know, all of a sudden being back in it. Um, and I also realized that whilst I needed to yeah, take it slow and gradually return and just see how I'm coping, how I'm dealing, I also realized that something I knew many moons ago early in my career, but I ignored it, which was to focus on a particular niche area, uh, a, you know, a particular presentation or area of need for, for clients out there, for people out there with looking after their emotional and mental well-being. And so I chose burnout as, as um, that niche field because, well, hey, I've lived it. It is something I, I have interest in, uh, desire to, to learn more and passion to provide uh, service for, for others uh, since being through it myself. And so, yeah, that, and, and it was still open to interpretation in terms of what my career would look like, but that's a big thing that's happened over this last year in terms of my work life and and yeah, gradually uh, molding that, and and I'm still molding that, and I think I'll always be molding my career, and and that's okay. I think this very openness and flexibility to see what happens. You know, I'm, I've even thought about research and being involved in that, and I've actually made a connection that hasn't quite happened yet, but that might lead in that area of research and. And I have started my groups and 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 my individual. I've actually moved into individual uh, one-on-one therapy because there was a. Uh, I think it was early this year that I checked in with myself, pondering, you know, what what I'm ready to do, and I felt that readiness and that urge to go back to one-on-one uh, therapy. So I started introducing that into my practice in March. So. Yeah, work life, hopefully that's making a bit of sense, um, looks like that. And in terms of my personal life, like outside of work, because that's important too, I think that's where the kind of boring work, <laughs> work comes in because there's not a lot that I have been, uh, I suppose, doing outside of work uh, in the big sense, I suppose. Um, that sounds, I think I might be judging that a bit harshly uh I mean things let's just kind of paint a picture I've continued on my regular daily activity of working out in the morning at 5 a.m with the gym crew and keeping that up and and there's been uh, you know lots of new faces that have come through in the last year as well as some familiar faces and establishing and maintaining friendships in that group and and actually starting to hang out outside of the gym and and do things as a as a group uh so you know celebrations like people's birthday parties or catching up for drinks doing a doing a um afternoon pub crawl kind of thing uh there has yeah there's been focused on connecting and maintaining and establishing social connections which was something that I identified was a precursor for my burnout and and a need in my recovery so so things are definitely more blossoming in that area for me uh and and even some 
realizations around relationships that I've had for a long, long time that hadn't really valued that connection, but realizing how valuable they are and communicating that to these to these people I'm I'm thinking of right now and and how that has helped establish some really strong connections as well. And um of course I've got my my immediate family, my partner and my two little doggies as well, Toby and Hannah, and continuation of our connection as well through daily practices. We're always walking our dogs a couple of times a day out at our local dog park and trying to do that together when we are together. And, uh, you know, my, my other family or other family, I mean my extended family, my siblings, my my mum and dad, you know, just, I suppose, low-key things that we might call boring but aren't really. These are the things that are valuable and very important in our life. But I suppose I, I use I, I use that label very quickly of boring because I'm thinking I'm not going on these awesome international trips that I used to do when I was in the thick of my burnout, unfortunately, but, you know, working full-time as a clinical psych and group practice and I could afford to take these big international trips and and I love I love travel and I will get back there. Um, it may look differently, but travel hasn't been part of my life for some time and and that has got me down because it, it is a big part of my life uh, and it will be again. But I'm in a different phase of my life at the moment. I'm starting up a business. My partner is finishing and doing uni and He's established a new interest and and still working full time as well. So it's, yeah, it's just not part of our life at the moment. Uh, But yeah, a lot of just quality stuff, I suppose, um, happening in my non-work life. So hopefully that paints a picture of of where things, things are at with me right now. I'd like to switch gears now and talk more to the processes happening underneath the skin. Now, I know that sounds a bit gross. <laughs> I often use that to explain that often we only see, or we, not often, we only see what's going on for a person on the outside, how they're behaving, how they're acting. And, and I just, you know, spoke to what that looked like for me over the last year in terms of returning back to work. But that what we don't see is the processes that the person's going through underneath to be able to do those things. So the challenges they they are facing. Uh, and that's what I want to share with you now, because that's the real stuff. It, it may look all easy on the outside and we might be telling ourselves, oh, look, she's returning back to work and working part time. And I wish I could do that. And, you know, all that stuff that we perceive with the other person and then we compare with ourselves. But what we don't see is what's happening underneath the skin for that person. And that's the hard work. So I want to share that reality with you. Um, and just a bit of that. So bear with me as I recall, because <laughs> um, there was a lot. And there's still ongoing challenges with returning to my career as well. It, it hasn't, uh, there's moments of ease, but there's moments of challenges as well. And, and I, I believe that some challenges are going to get easier and probably not be a challenge anymore. But then there'll be other challenges that arise as well. And yeah, and I'll approach them one at a time. But some of the main themes that that have been challenging for me in returning to, to work is 
I suppose not going back into what I call my old mates. Uh, so my old working behaviours, uh, the old ways of doing things that contributed ginormously to burning out for me. And one of those old mates is good old perfectionism, which is a group of uh, beliefs and thought patterns and, and then actions in doing things, but essentially comes down to unrelenting standards. So things are never good enough and high expectations on the self and self-worth based on achievements. So yeah, this last year and, and particularly as I moved back and, and I'm still moving back into providing therapy uh, slowly and gradually, and I'll talk to that in a second because that's another challenge, but perfectionism is something that does come up and, and I'm more able to notice it, I'm more observant of it, and I'm able to, because I'm more observant of it and I know how to deal with it, I'm able to shift and change focus in that. So perfectionism is still there, you know, um, old mate, as I call her. Um, and um, But yeah, another one is my tendency to worry. Um, and this is a little bit more evident with going back into one-on-one -on -one work with clients that has been more recent in, in since March. And one of the precursors for my burnout was that I was in a constant loop, even when not in front of a client, thinking about a client, thinking about their well-being, thinking about what I could do to help support them. And so the worry loop um, is another old mate that has been present more recently than before. But even worry has been a present figure uh, in my uh, even return to work just in general, uh, worry about making enough money, worry about uh, uh, whether I'll actually once I'm back into the throes of work, that psychology will be where I want to be. Uh, worried about what I'll do if psychology isn't. Um, worry about, like, lots of things. Worry is a loop, an old mate that I'm very used to uh, having. <laughs> but a thing that I am more aware of, just like the perfectionism, and able to notice its presence and, and shift and change to respond to that in a way that it doesn't become a constant loop again. So yeah, worries being there. So there's, yeah, you might see me working part-time, returning back to the career of psychology, and it, you might be assuming it looks all easy, but no, worries there, perfectionism is there. Another one is that... Uh, uh, the the constant and this because of perfectionism and worry this is a a behavior that comes out like this over planning needing to know um or to know what's next or or planning or over planning to ensure that i'm able to um i suppose stop the worst case scenario from happening so uh i suppose the most um 
clear example I can give is I tended to do this with working with uh, clients. I would overplan sessions and that would come from a fearful place of, of wanting to, to do the best for them to, uh, yeah, to help them achieving their therapy goals. So I would overplan the session trying to meet any particular thing that might come up. However, this only increased my anxiety and, you know, you never know what's going to happen in a session. So it didn't give me space to be able to respond on the moment in the moment. So over planning is something else that I've been very uh, mindful of and aware of one of my old mates. And again, being able to catch that and step back from it because it's not something that actually supports myself and my health and well-being, but also doesn't really support in the end uh, caring and being present for the client in, in that moment. So over planning is another uh, old mate that I've been aware of. And, and it's also come out in just my work life as well. Uh, with returning back to practicing psychology, they, I'm not sure if it's over planning, but maybe uh, needing to know what my work life will look like and having a fixed picture of that. And I think that's more the old mate of uncertainty and not liking having unknown in my life and, and needing to know. So it's probably more that old mate, you know, good old uncertainty, uh, anxiety that is is focused on, you know, in, in order to stop feeling anxious and overwhelmed and uncertain to, to goal set and plan and, and, and know what I'll be doing 10 years from now. But for me, a constant theme in my life has always, even right back to, you know, 13-year-old self, I haven't known. I haven't known what I wanted to do. I, I really didn't know. And I actually needed to experiment and explore to actually know what actually feels right. So, but I got into a nasty pattern that I've learnt contributed to my burnout to actually force myself to know and become very much in that striving place of continuing to work on that theme, you know, okay, I'm going to become a clinical psychologist. So just really narrow that focus and, and become that, but not really. And this is what I've realized knowing if that is what actually works for me. So being open to experience and exploring Anyway, so that theme of um, forcing myself to, to know, even when I decided that it felt right to move back into the mental health field and, and I had this um, readiness to go back into this and the openness to what that would look like and start with group and then eventually it felt right and okay to move back into individual therapy and not sure if I mentioned this, but also starting my own business and working for myself was something else I felt was more important. But there was still sometimes this striving to to actually know for sure that that's what I'm going to be doing 10 years from now. Uh, so there was still a big part of me not comfortable with what knowing whether this is what I'm going to want to be doing 10 years from now. So an old mate there of uncertainty. However, I'm much more aware of uncertainty now showing up and able to respond to that as well. So that old mate has been around underneath my skin as well. And what other old mates have been around? I think 
another old mate that's just coming to me is like I, I I've had this tendency to always sort of um if things are broken or I perceive things to be broken I have to fix it and and I can't just be with the brokenness and or even just see that brokenness isn't brokenness if that makes sense it's just that things are uh may not kind of come together in this quite fixed or you know finished puzzle kind of way they might be all these scattered pieces but that that doesn't mean that it's broken I don't know if any of that's making sense because I'm just talking about this right now uh, as it comes to my mind but I'm trying to see myself and life like it's not broken there's not things aren't broken things are just the way they are that my idea of a fixed state or things being this completed puzzle is just it's a perception of things that a way I think that I should be or things should be or a person should be and and I think this is just really culturally kind of infused in us and infused in me that that's why I perceive myself or others or things or life or whatever is broken and I've tried to step back from that and see things just as they are and so yeah an old mate of needing to fix and see things as broken and the the thing that comes to mind for me is as an example of this is that I used to think of my home now my home just to paint a picture I, I rent it's a rental home. It's a small little cottage that was probably built in God knows when, 70s, I don't know. It's, you know, a two-bedroom home. It's very small, but it's on a large piece, well, a large piece of land for inner city living. And we have used furniture. We've got some new furniture, but it's old now. It's got dog stuff on it, <laughs> dogs allowed on it. There's um, ornaments scattered all over the place that are things that we've picked up over the years from travel or it might be things that were given to us maybe by our nieces or nephews or, or a loving person. Uh, but they're just small little, they don't have to be big things, expensive things. It's just, I suppose, like an eclectic mix of colours and, and furniture and uh, and I used to think that that wasn't okay, that I would look at my, my living space and think that it needed fixing, that it wasn't right. And with this more different kind of view of things and seeing things not as broken or needing fixing, I've looked at my space more through this new lens and I see it as a representation of me it's me and my partner our home and it's all these things that represent parts of our life and the people in it and oh it, it's such a shift and a change and and I know now that that view that I was looking at through the problem fix I had an idea of what culturally is appropriate for your house to look like and my picture <laughs> my actual not my picture my actual living space did not look like that and that's why I assumed it was broken. So that was really interesting. Anyway, another old mate there. I think that, you know, I mean, there's probably a lot more old mates that 
I've been uh, contending with and, and dealing with with returning back to my career. But that that gives you at least a few of what's going on for me. Now shifting attention to my new mates, you know, I, I just talked about some of those old mates that have been showing up in my returning back to my career as a clinical psych, starting my own business, providing group and, and individual sessions to help people who are wanting to prevent or, or recover from burnout and stress-related conditions. But the new mates that I have cultivated to help respond when they're showing up. So you know, we, we need a new way of doing things and cultivating that new practice. So I want to share with how I've been uh, dealing with those, those old mates as I return back into my career. And I think the first one that I really want to share that has been valuable, and I've heard other guests that I've talked to who have done the same, moved back into work, uh, and even they're stepping away from work for a career break, they have shared that this has been helpful for them too. And that's identifying my values. So these are the things that, uh, well, not things, they're more your intention behind the actions that you're taking, how you want to be. So the action being returning to work. The values underpinning that for me are one is my health and well-being that I'm standing for as I return back to work, looking after my health and well-being. That is a new mate. I didn't, it was important to me in my, you know, prior to burnout, but my actions weren't aligned enough with it to be able to meet the demands of my work at the time. So this new mate, um, my values and the values around health and well-being is in the forefront. It is a prioritization and yeah, and I'll talk to the actions that are aligned with that in my return to working life. But values are something that has really been valuable um, in my return to work. But other values, so health and well-being is one that yeah, I prioritize. But also compassion, and this is compassion for myself and others and the world, that one of the reasons I wanted to go back to uh, working in clinical psychology or just psychology, mental health in whatever way or form, is that I get a lot out of being compassionate towards others. It feels great to be able to help others and and I just feel like it is my calling and but in doing that in in following my value of compassion for others I realize now the need to prioritize self-compassion like I had self-compassion prior to burning out but I didn't prioritize and again it wasn't enough to meet the demands of the compassion that was going out to others in my work at the time. So with the stepping back from my career, I was able to recognize that deficit. And so now self-compassion is a prioritization in um, the actions that I take 
And I'll talk to what that looks like in, in a second. So that's another value that instills um, a new mate um, in returning back to my career. Another um, value is being authentic, being, uh, yeah, being myself. And that's a new mate. And that, that looks like lots of different things, but just being myself in whatever shape or form in that I show up to things. And this is a, I suppose I'm working a lot on this in my personal life more than anything. It's a new mate there that when I catch up with friends, I used to, without really realizing I was doing it, I was putting a mask on. I was showing up in a way that would benefit them or I thought would benefit them. It was a perception. I didn't know what would benefit them. I just perceived that me being happy and joyful or helping them was was how I needed to show up. But now I just show up in whatever way I show up, you know, sad, happy, bit of both and just me. Yeah, so being authentic. And I think that's quite important in my personal life Because sometimes, or a lot of the times in professional life, when you're working with vulnerable others, that you can't um, show your complete authentic self in 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 how you're you're feeling because it's not um, appropriate in that in that moment. It's not um, you're there for the client. So anyway, practicing authenticity is is a new mate um, for me and a value that I instill in my actions. Uh, Another one is that a new mate, and and I think actually just talking about authenticity as well, I think that really helps with my antidote to perfectionism as well, that uh, it, it helps me not to have unrelenting standards on myself or high expectations and, and it just helps me feel more worthy and just being me as well when, I, when I'm more authentic with myself. So I feel like it really helps with that. Um, another uh, value that I, I try and instill that's helping with my returning back to work as well is a sense of adventure and, and flexibility and just exploring. And, and these things were values of mine in my recovery from burnout uh, to help me in that space of not knowing or that uncertainty of where where things were going. And I've continued the aligning my actions with these values with returning to work with, um, as I mentioned earlier, uh, that old mate of uncertainty showing up with what's my work life going to look like 10 years from now? Well, I don't know. <laughs> um, but remaining open and, and flexible and seeing this as an adventure and exploring, I know what I value about being in the mental health area and that's enough for right now. So those values are helping me um, and then new mates um, with going into and back into this career. Um, I feel like I might be getting a little bit lost with myself here at the moment with my own thoughts, but I think what I'm, I'm focusing here on, you know, the new mate is knowing and connecting with my values behind the actions I'm taking with returning to work. And so, you know, and these, these really do help when I get caught up in those old mates of worry, uncertainty, uh, perfectionism that one of the things I do is bring myself back to my values and aligning my actions with that. So 
that's the new mate there. And there's other values as well that I could go on, but I'll, I'll just leave it at those ones that I've shared so far. But another thing that's a really important new mate too that helps when those old mates show up is emotional regulation. It's And often that's first and foremost if I have been hooked by those things. It's grounding myself in the present, being here and now, and doing what it takes to to regulate myself to a point that I can connect to my values and I can start to take some action that helps in that moment. And your regulation actions for me, it's wide and varied. Uh, Sometimes it's as simple as my breath uh, and focusing on that and, and taking deep, long breaths in and out. Sometimes it's drawing. I've got into a little bit of a habit before I uh, see a client, I will draw if I feel compelled to. And this really helps settle any any anxiety I might be feeling, just really helps me uh, regulate my system because I know when I'm regulated, I can do my best work. So that compassion for that client I'll be seeing will will be better um, when I'm regulated. So I do it with that value in mind. Uh, there's other things I do, uh, you know, even things on a regular basis that helps support the regulation of my system. So not just in those moment kind of techniques, but just general things like exercising every morning, uh, walking with my dogs, getting out in nature, uh, even cleaning, um, doing my chores has become a bit of a, reg- a regulatory um, activity because it gets me out of my work mode head and just centering myself on an activity that doesn't take up any brain space. So, yeah. So, yeah, that's a, a new mate. Well, and, and she she was present before, but I didn't do it enough in the context of the work that um, I was doing what other new mates have arrived? Um, I did write some notes before doing this uh, recording for this podcast, but I find also leaving it a little bit open just to see what arises. So my mind is is a little bit scattered at this moment. So just to summarize so far, the new mates that I've talked about is, you know, knowing my values and connecting my action to my values and regulating my emotions. I think another new mate that is just showing up in my mind right now that I didn't indicate before in my notes is that I, I'm crafting my work life to be something that is conducive to what I need, what supports my health and well-being. And this is a new mate because I wasn't I wasn't aware of myself enough to know what I actually need that supports me. And I I didn't know the impact of what I was doing or how I was working before. I wasn't paying enough attention to that wasn't working for me. And by the time I realized it wasn't working for me and started to make some changes prior to, um, you know, totally not able to work it was too late in terms of I needed to scale right back and not work at all to be able to reconfigure and and rejuvenate to be able to find what is workable so that's a new mate to to actually be 
aware of myself enough and be okay with accepting that, okay, this is the level on which I can work. And then gradually expose myself to those working conditions and seeing if that works for me. So don't know how flexibility, I suppose. Well, that's the value behind it. But that's a new mate in terms of, you know, cultivating my work life to be one that works for my well-being rather than cultivating a work life that I think I should be doing or want to be doing and without any awareness of my my well-being, uh, being more reactive rather than protective or pre- proactive, I suppose. Yeah. Hmm. So that's another one. I'll just look at my notes to see if there's anything else. I think, yeah, I think also the other thing that's a new mate is that I value my personal life more than I value my work life and I say that questioningly because I think I'm still working on that one like I just I just don't want you know my life to be all about work and I think that is something I'm still working on because with establishing a new business a lot goes into that and and you can end up working a lot of hours on establishing it So, and there's not a lot of money. So in terms of the things that you might want to be doing in your personal life, although a lot can be done without money, a lot of things take money. So I think I'm still in the throes of that, but I want, again, sort of crafting my work life to be something that's part of my life. It's not my whole life. And yeah, yeah. Anyway, still working on that one, but yeah, I want life to be life. I don't even I don't even want it to be this sort of work and then personal life. It's just life. You know, I just want it to be just one whole thing, I suppose. <laughs> anyway, the last question I just want to reflect on today is more about the actions that it has I suppose that I'm taking that helps facilitate those new mates and and also help with dealing with those old mates I mean I've already talked to a few just in in reviewing new mates and old mates um things like you know those emotional regulation strategies but just yeah just other things that might shine a light on what that looks like you know if you're observing me doing those things I suppose so a couple of notes that I've written down here is one is that I continue to journal and it's interesting that they actually indicate in the burnout research on treatment Uh, that self-awareness is really key and that one of the ways to remain self-aware is through journaling. So writing down, uh, recording, whatever it looks like, uh, what you're thinking, what you're feeling, you know, what's going on inside you and, and behaviorally what's going on to help process and work on any issues or challenges that are coming up and, and monitoring, monitoring the burnout symptoms. And, uh, because, We do know uh, there is research to indicate that a lot of people uh, who recover and bounce back from burnout and go back to work relapse. And so, yeah, awareness is really key. So I have been journaling and I continue to journal for that reason. And I also do it because I... I, Because I I publicise it as well. And I do that because I hope, continue to hope, that it helps other people in, in joining in and processing and dealing with some of those issues 
that I'm dealing with. So anyway, so I continue to journal to personally check in and that really helps with noticing those old mates creep up and being able to catch them in time. And it helps me to re-engage with those new mates that, you know, have been around for some time now. So they've become a lot more automatic or uh, automatic, um, but still need a bit of prompting as well. I, the other thing that I regularly engage in, and this is what is really helpful about choosing to focus on burnout uh, in returning back to psychology practice is that I am delving into the research and I'm reading up about burnout. I'm connected to other experts in the area. So I'm still learning and then gathering information about this syndrome and, and what can be done. So that really helps support me as well in not relapsing because yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm delving into that. So there's been some, you know, self-focused reasons for choosing burnout as my niche area for right now in psychology practice as well. Uh, it really helps with my ongoing well-being and growth. Uh, the other big one, which I've really alluded to already is that is, is allowing this time in my life to continue to be about experimentation and being open to experiences and just jumping at opportunities to do things that are aligned with my values. So not closing off, being open in my focus. So which has allowed a few different opportunities to, to come up as well or to, yeah, to, to be presented and to take that opportunity one being it hasn't come to fruition yet but connecting with um a research group uh, people in brisbane actually a local group that is interviewing exploring people with lived experiences and and people who haven't experienced burnout to learn what are or what are the things we can learn from them what what um yeah is the evidence coming out from the, the that research and that really interests me because lived experience is certainly a big value of mine i feel like that narrative we can learn so much of of people who have lived experiences of conditions like burnout and so and research i, I love i love finding out about things discovering new things so anyway so that's because it's aligned my values I was like oh I'll take that opportunity uh, also things like um, collaborating with other uh, professionals in a variety of fields but with that similar interest and burnout and taking those opportunities to work with them uh, and there's been quite a few opportunities with that that I have taken up and and that just I meet some wonderful practitioners who are like-minded in terms of uh, when I say like-minded I just mean that we share this interest this passion and that I can work and connect with other people and not be so isolated so yeah um, just experimenting exploring which means that you know a lot of these things often uh, trigger anxiety for me because it can be putting me out of com my comfort zone but connecting back to my values and knowing that this action is aligning with that and doing my emotional regulation strategies and being compassionate towards myself as I walk in that direction all helps with doing that. And um, I suppose another, and I think this is kind of like a new mate but that I didn't mention before, but that I suppose, you know, what action I take is uh, this new mate is this, 
phrase, slow is fast. And I got this from a one of my guests on the podcast, and I, I won't mention their name, but they'll know who they are if they're listening. Slow is fast. It seems a bit of a, doesn't seem like it would fit together, but that I've realized there's values, value in taking the, this in a pace that works for me, that society would see this as slow. And I would have seen it as slow and sometimes still see it as slow in terms of moving back into my career. Uh, but doing it in a way that's conducive to my well-being and my health whilst may look slow is fast because if I moved back, if I just bounced back, you know, and worked in the way that I was working before in group practice as a clinical psych, I would guarantee I would burn out again. I would guarantee that. That's probably something that I... I'm even feeling that in the core of my gut right now. Like my my gut instinct is saying, yep, you would. And I trust her now. I've learned to trust her. I've learned to to go with her. And she knows that. And I'm not willing to go there again And because every, it's not just me who gets harmed. Uh, the people that you're, as a, as a psych, that you're looking after, your family, it's just not worth the impact that burnout has on on your on yourself, others, and life. To yeah, to go fast. <laughs> so slow is fast. I love that. Uh, so yeah, I think I think that's the main actions. Again, there'd be a lot of actions I've taken, and if any questions come up for you as you're listening to this, and you you feel you want to ask me them, please do. I'm happy to share, uh, and would would love to. I think the last thing, I know I said that was the last thing, but there, there's also some, some things that I wanted to share just in terms of scientific evidence as well with returning back to work. I, I recently did a, a month on my social media that was focused on building awareness around burnout. And one of the questions one of my followers asked was about returning to work and I looked into the research literature to find out what is known. Now, this is not an extensive uh, research. <laughs> um, I only spent a little bit of time on, on looking into what is known. And I think I just looked in the last five years of the research as well. So this is not conclusive information. But what, what I found was really interesting and I think helpful. And I want to share that with you today, just in case you don't follow me on social media and didn't get, get that benefit of that um, recording because I did a live for that. So I've highlighted, I've got it in my notes here, so bear with me. So what I, one thing I did find is that there was limited evidence or clinical observation of the return to work. Um, so the evidence that has been found is, is, is quite small, I suppose, and a lot more research needs to, to be done. And a lot of it was focused more on... Uh, like um, rehabilitation, return to work uh, rehabilitation, which still is, is really helpful in terms of the research on it. So one of the things that they found was that what could lead to a healthy return to work and staying working is having effective coping strategies with dealing with workplace or life stress. 
So they also found that behaviours that facilitated the balance between activity and rest. So finding that balance, which is something that I continue to work on because sometimes that changes because the stress that's in your life can ebb and flow both in work and life. So we need to change accordingly to help support that need for rest. Uh, They did find that uh, certain coping behaviours wasn't conducive with a healthy return to work. So things like uh, emotional avoidance, so avoiding dealing with that stress. Um, So distraction or reassurance type uh, coping, like everything will be okay, you know, just keep going. Um, Or trying to problem solve situations that weren't solvable. Uh, Yeah. So also they found that if sleep was still impaired to a significant extent, return to work will not be as successful post-burnout. So really needing to work on sleep restoration uh, before returning to work or at least get it to a point that it's more conducive. They also found, and this was interesting, that that with return to work, that the anything longer than six months away from work could lead to... Uh, that like the return to work won't be as successful and there could be many reasons for that so don't because uh, I even think that maybe the person returned to work to a job that uh, wasn't conducive to their well-being anymore you know so it wasn't necessarily just about the duration because uh, they talked there about that maybe too long that they might lose their nerve or confidence around that but it could also be the work type as well so just be mindful of that Um, but look I don't have any evidence around that that's just speculation on what I think about that they also found that uh, a slow increase in workload when returning to work is is important so starting off with part-time work and working uh, towards increasing that back up to where you were before rather than going straight back into uh, your usual level. And I did that. I started off with part-time work about four months after the peak of my burnout and I started off in non-clinical roles doing the lecturing and I stayed at that for 18 months in part-time and, and did my podcast and some other things that were not paid work but uh, non-clinical work again but that helped fill my time and you know uh, helped fill my my cup at the time as well so yeah a gradual return to work is is important they also report that obviously a decrease in symptoms uh, and that the cognitive impairment aspects of burnout so like the memory the decision making uh, those kind of aspects of you know, problem solving those affected aspects have come back online, so to say, before returning to work. So, and modifications of of the work as well to suit where the person's at. So that flexibility around being able to do what is conducive to your well-being at the time. So if we're working for somebody else, their willingness to be able to map that or craft that work role to help support one's well-being or if you're working for yourself like in my case um, you know with me crafting to start with working in groups and then gradually bringing in the individual therapy which was 
more triggering for me. So, you know, needing to slowly add that in um, when I was ready. And another thing they found in successful return to work is having a supportive work environment. Obviously, in my case, that's up to me because I work for myself. So creating a supportive work environment, being my own best boss, that's where the self-compassion comes in very much. but in, for people working for others, where obviously it's out of your control how your workplace is and how they're conducting themselves, but you doing that measure, you know, are, are they providing the support that I need? And if they're not, if it's safe to do so, communicating those needs, if it's not, stepping away from that if you can, because it could be or mean a risk of relapse. Because remember, it's workplace factors that trigger our burnout the factors that contribute to it, those individual factors just further perpetuate it. But it's the workplace factors that trigger our burnout. So anyway, so that's, I think, most of the return to work stuff that I found, just flipping my page. Uh, Oh, this is interesting. Uh, That burnout is a condition that has a long-term recovery on average three years. I really want to share that with you. So this return to work, you may not be fully recovered. Maybe you've needed to return to work because of financial reasons. So just have that in mind, you know, that if you're finding that some of those symptoms of burnout are coming back and, and it might be because you've needed to work maybe a bit more than what you're ready for, just to know that that's not a failure on your part. <laughs> that's the nature of recovery from burnout and just doing the best that you can at that time to support yourself and and making any changes that you can to look after you um also the research shows that it is relapsing burnout is relapsing and 50 percent of individuals who do return to work after burnout had a relapse within two and a half years so that's yeah that's important to know And there was something that I, and I'm trying to recall just off the top of my head, so I'm not going to remember this (laughs) properly, but I've been reading, and this was the group that are researching lived experience, so people who have been through burnout, what they're noticing is that those who, and I don't think this uh, equals into that they don't relapse, actually, I might just pull up this information, so bear with me because I do have it saved somewhere. Uh, Here we go. So so here, I'm just going to read out and I will let you know who this is from as well. So from people who are interviewed who had burnt out, some found the experience so harrowing that after it was over, they struggled to recover. They experienced a form of post-traumatic stress that lingered on. Others took time off and recovered somewhat, but they never quite got back to where they were before. They survived the experience of burnout, but were impaired by it. The majority of people eventually bounced back to where they were before. They resumed their old duties in the same manner with the same mindset. It was a victory of sorts. They've been knocked over and gotten back to their feet. They were resilient. Yet they hadn't changed. They were still susceptible to the same combination of external and internal patterns which burned them out in the first place. They may be okay in future, but they may not. And there was a final group in the research. These people were not resilient. They didn't bounce back to where they were before. They bounced forward. 
They used the experience, awful as it was, to grow. They deeply examined what happened to them and why. They spoke with coaches or counsellors or psychologists who had valuable insights on their experience. They tried new things, created boundaries, said no, prioritised their self. They explored what their values were, what sort of workplace did they want to be part of, where can they find that. This took time, often important things do, but they reported it was worth it. Because when they emerged from this experience, they were no longer the same person who had burned out in the first place. And so when the old pressures and demands came again, they knew what to do this time. They were a bigger, better version of their old self. Now they could perform at a high level for years without the risk of burning out. They didn't get post-traumatic stress. They experienced post-traumatic growth. Now, as I read that out to you, I'm getting absolute goosebumps in, on my body and tearing up a little bit because my soul knows that's, that's what I did and that's what I'm experiencing, post-traumatic growth. And I suppose uh, my wish for you is that you get that space and that time however slowly that it takes and however that looks like even if you are working that you take that time to delve deep to explore those things to grow from this experience and I have I want to thank um, that this information that I just read out comes from the research team for Perform Grow Thrive Project uh, I'm going to read out their names, Ryan Bricker, Mitchell Stallard, Michael Campbell, Lisa McKay, Mira Craston, Ian Cleland, Dr. Sherry DeLay, Matt Bartlett uh, Bond, sorry, Matt Bartlett Bond, Carrie Wainscott, Melissa Crawford, Ruth Prendercast and Simone Fankelstein and the person who wrote this email, uh, Nick uh, Petrie. And just to repeat, They are from the Perform, Grow, Thrive project. Uh, Lots of great things coming out of that. I've just connected with them. Uh, So, yeah, yeah, it's a lot of work, but we can grow from this experience. And I hope that sharing today, sharing where I'm at, uh, was it over two years since my burnout reached the peak, and returning back to the career that I had thought I had left and I wouldn't return to, that wasn't aligned with who I am or, or what would work for me is the place that I need to be and that I'm shaping it in a way that supports my health and well-being. Now, you may not return to the career And the work that you're doing, and and you may be in that space right now, but that's okay as well. It's about cultivating a work life that supports our life. Not the other way around, I suppose. Um, Not to kill ourselves in our work life. I really believe we have one life and what, you know, one precious life. And we work most of it. And we deserve a healthy, happy, 
life and to cultivate a work life that helps support that. Uh, I think that's important. And if that's in your reach, do it. I think I'll, I'll leave it there for today and, and thank you for listening. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to this month's episode of Burnout Psychology Support Podcast. If you'd like to share your thoughts on this episode, please do by leaving a comment. The only way this important free resource is going to get out to the four corners of this beautiful earth is through the power of the people. So please like, leave a review or share. Consider it your good deed for the day and I will be forever grateful. To keep up to date when new episodes are released, follow me on your favourite podcast provider or join my mailing list at www.burnoutpsychologysupport.com. If you'd like to share your burnout to recover experience or you are an expert working in the field of burnout and would like to share your wisdom on the podcast, please email me at shannonswales at burnoutpsychologysupport.com. The views, opinions, tips and the like expressed by myself or my guests are not a replacement for personalised psychological help. Just like I've done for myself, I encourage those of you that are suffering to seek professional help.